enjoy that time as a substitute teacher where you are getting to know people and you can be a little bit like choosy mm -hmm. if you're not getting the right feeling from a school well then take a look down the list and choose a different school and find those teacher friends and that school culture that you're like yes this is exactly where i belong and then invest your time there as much as possible the pod class is in session I'm your host, Elizabeth Tingle, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with expert guests to talk about different topics related to school-based health promotion. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jody Harding-Kuriger, and we are going to talk about enjoying substitute teaching. Dr. Harding-Kuriger has been a teacher for 16 years. She has taught at all grade levels as a classroom teacher. She is a proud health and physical education specialist and for several years served as a substitute teacher. She recently completed her doctorate in elementary education at the University of Alberta and loves teaching pre-service teachers at the U of A. Welcome, Jody. We're so glad to have you on the show. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I always like to start by asking guests what their go-to well-being strategies are because it can, I think, give us all ideas on how to prioritize our well-being. And of course, podcast learning can be mobile. So maybe you can take care of your own well-being while you're learning this content, if that works with your schedule today. But Jody, if you could share some of your habits that help you to take care of yourself, that would be great. Thank you. So I'm blessed to live out in the country and we have two dogs. So I frequently uh, will take the dogs for a walk as part of my well-being. I also have three very active children. So um, for example, this past weekend, we were away in the mountains and we spent lots of time in the pool and we walked everywhere. Basically, finding ways to incorporate movement and physical activity in my family life is the most realistic way for me to stay active. And then in terms of my own mental wellness, just making time to have conversations with people I care about and trust and also just using those few moments of the day where it's quiet to breathe and to think about, okay, what's coming next? How am I feeling? Just to check in. So a lot of my wellness ideas are very much in the moment and work within my schedule. At this point, I don't have a very set schedule for my well-being right now at this juncture. I am not surprised to hear that because I know you are a very busy person, but I think that's so valuable to share that you can do wellness on the go. You can make it fit with the day that you have in small moments or in activities with others, or like you said, just spending time to talk with people that are important to you. I really think that's a lifelong approach to well-being that can work even on those days when you don't have an hour to do something on your own. You can infuse it through your day, and I think that's really wise. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. So I wonder, Jody, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your teaching career. What has it been like and what are the different twists and turns that it has taken? So my teaching career got off to a very quick start. I actually started teaching right out of the gates, right out of student teaching in Edmonton. And this was elementary grades that you were teaching or? Uh, this is junior high, my absolute favorites. Um, <laughs> junior highs have my heart through and through. I love teaching elementary as well. And I, I love high school. But when I return to a classroom, it would ideally be to junior high, seven to nines 
are my favorite. They are just so full of life and everything is a big drama, but in a good way. And we have such deep, formative conversations. Like I just, I love junior high. They're pretty special. So yeah, and then I had my son and while I was on mat leave, I completed my master's and then um, moved to the K-9 school. And I was a acting administrator there as well as a health and PE teacher and I taught a few other subjects again junior high and I went on leave when we had two more children once we had all three I did try going back to teaching and I actually tried uh, high school for a little while but with our family and postpartum it just wasn't going to work it was not what was meant to be for me at that time and so that's when I moved into substitute teaching I was not a particularly enthusiastic stay-at-home mom. Mm -hmm. I preferred to find some work. And that's where substitute teaching was the best thing for me. I just loved going into different classrooms. I primarily subbed with Greater St. Albert Catholic School District, G Sacred, because it was closer to home. I absolutely loved it because I was able to create a schedule that worked for our family. Mm -hmm. I am feeling you on a lot of what you've brought up. I'm a mom of three kids as well. And finding that balance between <laughs> parenthood, it's busy, it's demanding, but then also keeping your foot in the world of education that you're passionate about and trying to make the different ebb and flow of adulthood work with your career. And I think your choice to substitute teach makes a lot of sense when you consider all of the different factors that are going into your life. And I think there are different reasons why people turn to substitute teaching. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. I'm wondering if this is the path that you expected your teaching career to take. Not at all. <laughs> um, it has been a wonderful surprise. And it's interesting, like I was just working on an article an autoethnography about like a teacher, coach, mom, what that life is like. And I'm noticing a pattern and that's about every five years, I need a change. I need to switch things up. And so that's where I did the substitute teaching for a while. And that worked beautifully for our family. And then after subbing uh, one of the schools, in fact, my own personal elementary school in St. Albert hired me as their phys ed specialist part time which worked really, really well again. So I was subbing and I was part-time. I would teach in the mornings and then generally sub at the same school in the afternoon, which is where my own kids attended. And that worked out beautifully. And then again, I got a little bit antsy and returned to the U of A for grad studies to do my doctoral degree. And so I love the flexibility that education has offered me and our family. So definitely not the path that I would have expected. I had anticipated teaching and then maybe moving into admin, but I am loving the return to subbing and consulting. And so, yeah, it has been a road full of surprises, but I, I've loved all of it. I like that you use the word road because this is a pet little passion of mine is that we need to talk about the variety of roles that are available to someone with a teaching background and that it's not just classroom teaching that someone in that background can end up and that we need to be, I think, more positive about all the different roles that an educator can take. And this comes up in the research on attrition because it's often measured very narrowly how someone is considered still in the field. 
So I don't know if you're familiar with some of that research, but I did a little dive recently because we were concerned about how students were understanding attrition statistics. And when I looked a little closer, I realized that depending on the study, someone is counted as a lever or someone who has left the profession if they have maybe dropped from full-time to part-time or they've moved from a district to another district or like from a public to a charter or from a full-time classroom to subbing or if they are on mat leave. All of these different factors make attrition really difficult to measure. And I think we need to understand the complexity of career paths in this field before we get really worried about attrition rates because how that data is collected can be really misleading. And so some of the researchers that I follow on this topic have said, we need to think about teaching as a career that has a lot of exit and on-ramps, that there's lots of different ways to get off and take a break and, you know, have kids or maybe go to school or try something different and then come back. And that flexibility, which you've just spoken about, is one of the greatest parts about teaching. And so I think we just need to remember and celebrate that, that it's a very female-friendly, family-friendly profession in that sense. Absolutely. And yeah, that saddens me, the negative connotation. And I'm surprised that moving from full-time to part-time is considered leaving. In some studies, yeah. yeah. It makes no sense. But it all depends on like who's running the study and how it's being measured. Yeah, Australia has realized the same issue too, that when we generalize from studies on American attrition, that it's not necessarily applicable. Like it's so context specific, I guess is the takeaway. So we have to be really careful interpreting those studies. Absolutely. A friend of ours, Dr. Lee Schaefer, he's been doing some work on sustaining. So what sustains you in the profession? And honestly, what has sustained me? Like when I think of when you mentioned context specific, like finding those teacher friends who become lifelong friends and Every day you look forward to seeing them and chatting with them. I've been so blessed. I've had some incredible colleagues who are dear friends and like the co-planning that we would do together. And then as our families grew, our children play together. But yeah, there's so much available to us as educators that can sustain us alongside those friendships. There's also just opportunities to try something new, um, to consult, to work part-time while pursuing grad studies. Yeah, I just, I find that it's, it's a profession of endless possibilities. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So getting back to substitute teaching, I do think that the pandemic has showed everyone how key substitute teachers or supply teachers, sometimes they're called guest teachers, they're so key to the overall functioning of the school system. Some research has suggested that when added all together, the average student will spend an actual entire year with a substitute teacher in their K-12 school experience. From your perspective, what are the different reasons a substitute teacher may be needed? So what are the different reasons that you have been called in to sub? Well, and when I read that statistic, that makes a lot of sense. Because when I think of parental leave, I mean, I took a three-month parental leave for a friend of mine when she had her daughter. And yeah, that was a quarter of the calendar year that I spent with those kids. And I loved it. And it was so fun. So I mean, there's, yeah, parental leave, stress leave, medical leave. And then I think that from an opportunity perspective, 
If you have an administrator who is open to collaboration, substitutes can be called in when, you know, grade groupings are provided collaboration time, when teachers need time to do like formative assessments. I think that's an excellent opportunity for substitute teachers to come in. Substitute teachers also, depending on their level of experience, can provide a lot of expertise and almost become a mentor. So this is just personally speaking, like when I think of my area of health and phys ed, anytime I've substituted in a school in phys ed or in health, I've always found an opportunity. And again, partially it comes from being an HPEC member, the health and phys ed council member. And I always try to connect with those health and phys ed teachers and find out what they're doing, what is their teaching philosophy, what are their pedagogical approaches, and then keep those conversations going, not just as a substitute teacher, but as a colleague and just find ways to connect. And then I've been called back to some of those schools and I'm there for the day, but I'm actually teaching beside, co-teaching with some health and phys ed teachers when they want to try new models like teaching games for understanding or when they want to try a new way of assigning credits, for example, in Phys Ed 10 2030. So there are a plethora of reasons for substitutes. Sometimes that's just to fill in when someone is sick. I mean, the other thing I've done as a substitute teacher was acting administration roles, hmm. which are really quite fun. Or if a teacher who's been there longer moves into the acting admin, then I'll cover their classes. And that's always an interesting way to be brought into a school as well. So there are so many reasons to bring in this up. Yeah, for sure. And that really illustrates just, again, how much we need them because there's so many reasons why a substitute teacher may be required. So you've shared a little bit about some of the benefits of substitute teaching. Can you elaborate a little more in how substitute teaching is different from classroom teaching or admin work, which you've done? What are some of the benefits to the unique educational role of being a supply teacher? Well, I mean, right off the hop, uh, no report card. <laughs> yep. No parent-teacher interviews. I mean, those are things I do enjoy. But with a growing family and a busy family, I needed to not be sharing as much of my before and after school time. Yep. So less planning per se. I mean, I still have plans when I do go into a classroom. I have backup plans just in case. It's just something I prefer to do. As a professional, I feel that that's, I think, important. So I would say those are some of the benefits. Other benefits are instead of coaching sports with my students, that frees me up to volunteer and coach with my own children. Mm -hmm. So that has been definitely an area of importance for us. And it was wonderful to see the variety of schools, rural and urban. It was just really neat to see the different school cultures K through 12. I love meeting new students, meeting new staff. It's very exciting to go into different schools and you can feel and sense and hear and smell the different cultures of different schools. So for example, like if you go into a school that is really focused on comprehensive school health and you walk in and you can smell soup cooking because that's what they offer as a healthy lunch option, or you go in and sometimes you'll go into a school where it's a very academic school and the behavior, it 
like there are next to no behavior issues. You're almost pulling teeth to start to build relationships with those kids because they're so quiet sometimes Mm -hmm. and well behaved. So it's interesting to see who attends all those types of schools. And I just I love hearing the stories of the teachers and the students in the building, how they ended up where they ended up. So it's just it's nice variety. Yeah, I substitute taught at the beginning of my career and then also later. And especially at the beginning, I found that subbing, it was like this sampler. Mm -hmm. Like you could just sort of see like what a different schools look like and get a better sense of what kind of school do I think I would enjoy teaching in. And just that exposure to the different school cultures that are out there, the different grade levels, the different subjects, it really is a nice way to experiment and learn for yourself what is a good fit for you. Absolutely. And I would add to that, again, like if you come in with some of your own plans, it's a great way to experiment, like you said, with your own pedagogy. For example, like anytime I subbed, I would spend, and even this is even high school, junior high, I would spend the first 10, 15 minutes getting to know the names of the students so that I knew every single one of their names before the end of the block or before the end of my time with that particular group. And just showing those kids that you care about who they are as human beings, I found was so important. But then when you came back, if you were called back to that same school, you already knew some of the students, they knew that you were invested in them and in their education. And so yeah, it was also a sampler of students. Yeah, right. Like, like you said, K through 12, which Which age group did you respond in your heart and in your mind and in your gut the most to? And then which other ones kind of gave you that feeling like, oh, maybe this division isn't for me. Like this grade level and I, we don't drive as well as something else. And like I said, you can experiment with pedagogy, which is so much fun. Yeah. And maybe even make a few mistakes in the process. Exactly. If you're wanting to try something new, but don't want to (laughs) risk you know, your Mm -hmm. ongoing class culture, you're right, you can kind of get a little experimental, I think that way. Absolutely. Like you can read the lesson plan. And so long as you're meeting the objectives, and you're, you know, taking notes for that teacher, you know, you could try different cooperative ways of teaching that same lesson, or you could switch it up rather than yeah, being teacher directed, maybe you're going to look at some more student led ways of meeting that objective for that block or that lesson. So it is a beautiful way to practice a variety of pedagogies and and just a variety of ways of, of being a teacher. It's almost like being in a movie or a play where, okay, as a sub today, I'm going to be like a real strict teacher and try that on. And then the next day, be a little zany. Yeah. Yeah. So you can, like, you can experiment with your teaching persona. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There are so many great ways to sub. I also think that teaching on short notice and sometimes with scant plans gives you confidence. You start to realize like, okay, I can lead a class with bare bones here and it works out. And I think there's something about doing that that helps to fuel your comfort and confidence in your role as a teacher moving forward. But it can feel intimidating at first if you're thrown into a situation and you don't have that much time to plan and worry about all the details. But then you really start to learn to trust the skills that you've developed through your education degree and through your field experiences that you can do this. Absolutely. And especially if you're willing to take that first chunk of time. And I mean, use physical activity, go outside with them, get to know them, and then come back and take a look at the scant plans and be like, okay, I know these kids a little bit better now. We've gotten the wiggles out. 
We have built a bit of a relationship. Here's what we need to get through team. Let's get through this together. And asking the students for guidance as well and showing them that it's okay as a professional to be vulnerable and to not always have the answers and explain to them like, hey, we've got this day together. Here's what we've got to do. Here's our to-do list. What are some ways that you usually get through math, that you get through English? What are the routines? And if you take that time in the beginning, in the morning, or in that first block of time to show them that you care about who they are, they're less likely to play those jokes about moving the seating plan and not telling you the correct name. Like They'll see that you're a human too, and that you're willing to stumble through the day with them, and that you're not going in there as the expert, and you know everything about what needs to be done right now because kids will see right through that if you're not authentic in what you know and what you're prepared to do they are going to know that right away and so you might as well just take a bit of time yeah and find out what they know and what they can contribute to the day and there's always extra helpful students in a class every time absolutely and there's always someone will be like this is actually how we usually do this or this is you know where those resources are Yeah, it can be hard, especially again, if you're showing up for a job on last minute notice to navigate where the classroom is, the rules that are specific to a school, in addition to the numerous students that you may not have learned names for yet. What advice do you have to handle just all the newness and uncertainty that can come with substitute teaching? I would say first and foremost, if it is like, okay, you got a phone call on your very first day at 630 in the morning, and you're going to a school that you're unfamiliar with, if you're able, again, it all depends on what your mornings are like. But if you're able, do a quick search of their school website, and take a look at their bell schedule, take a look at kind of the flow of their day and the administration staff's name, including like the secretaries and um, admin assistants. And then as much as possible, arrive early so that you do have time to get a feel for the building. As you sign in at the office, if it's a bigger, like a big high school with complicated hallways, find out if there's a map or again, on their school website, check out the map and see if you can figure out where you're going to be If you're changing rooms, what's the quickest route, that kind of thing. And then once you're in that in the office signing in, introduce yourself, find out if any of the staff who are in the staff room in the morning are close by to where you're teaching and if they're able to walk you to your room. And then you can have those like informal chatty conversations as you're walking to the classroom together and guaranteed because we're teachers and we generally like to chat, you'll get a rundown of the students that you're going to have. Like they'll tell you a little bit about the teacher who's away, about the students that they teach. And then if there's an EA in your classroom that day, find out who they are, introduce yourself, get to know their name, get to know their strengths, get to know what they prefer to do during the day or what is the regular routine. EAs are some of the most gifted and talented and generous people in the building. And they will make your day go so much smoother if you right from the get-go honor their experience and their knowledge of that school and of the students. And I think those are some really important ways to make your day go well. That's such good practical advice. And I absolutely agree that finding out if there is an EA and getting to know them is a really great first step. And you might ask in some schools, they might have like a binder for substitutes and whether you have keys for your classroom. Like there's these little details that can just make your day go a little smoother if you remember to make sure that you have everything that you need (laughs) after first checking in. Yeah. So 
What are some quick ways to build connections with students as a guest teacher? You mentioned that you spend time getting to know students' names. Are there specific games or icebreaker activities that you have found work well to develop that rapport? So my go-to is a name game. I've adapted it from Tracy Lockwood from Play Education that first showed me. And I've seen it played stationary as well. So if your students are in rows or if they're in a circle, you get the first student to say their name. And you can ask them either to say something about themselves or I prefer the active ways where we're all outside or standing up in a circle and they say their name and they do an action. So, for example, Jody maybe is jumping jack. okay? and then we go to the next student and Lillian is going to do a lunch. So then everyone in the class says Jody and does Jody's action. Everyone in the class says Lillian does Lillian's action. It does take a while with like a large class, absolutely, but it gets us moving, gets the blood flowing. I immediately will get a feel for who's loud, who's quiet, you know, who are kind of your natural leaders, who are your silent leaders, who's going to fool around. Where am I going to need to use proximity? Uh, I will have a very good idea after playing this game. So that's my absolute go-to game. And then when I'm in a K-6 to school, especially like kindergarten, grade one, two, three, after we play that game, I generally have a book, like a personal book that I bring in and I read it to them. And so they are in turn getting to know a little bit about me, both with my action and the name game. And I'm also sharing a little bit about who I am. And K-3, I generally bring in uh, the book with no pictures. Mm -hmm. It is a very silly book. So they they do get to see the silly side of me. And so I say to them, you know, hey, we've played some games. We've been active. We've read a book, gotten some sillies out. And now it's time for us to, you know, get to work and let's get our day started together. And those are some strategies that I use to build connections right away. I love the idea of bringing some of your own favorite books. I don't know. I feel like I would feel more comfortable starting there because it's familiar and I know that it's engaging. I really like that idea in addition to the games that you've shared. Thank you. And oh, for like grade four to nine, The Dunderheads is a great book because again, it's talking about the personalities and strengths of all the students in this class. And so you can say to them, the teacher in this story called her students dunderheads, but I'm seeing you as individuals with strengths and ideas that you can bring to our day together. That's another book that I bring in. I actually, I also use that book at the start of a year, a school year with my students. I'm going to have to check that out. I haven't read that one. You mentioned earlier that sometimes you have a backup lesson plan or just sort of a go-to in case there is not a lot to go on. Sometimes you might be called in for an emergency reason and the teacher may not have had time to prepare detailed lesson plans. Can you share some of your favorite learning activities that you can lead, maybe even with various grade levels? Do you have sort of a universal activity that can work with a couple different grades? Sure. Again, like I try to become familiar immediately with like their bell schedule. And then I'll try and place that into a template. So again, same thing in the morning, get to know them. Honestly, what I do on the whiteboard, because like you said, there's always those helpful students. I'll say, okay, it's day one, if this is junior high, high school. So I'll actually ask the students where they're going next. So I'll show them my schedule and I'll say, okay, this is what I'm teaching next. This is what I'm teaching next. This is what I'm teaching next. And these are the rooms I'm in. Can you show me around? Can you, can somebody walk me to my next room? 
so that I know where I'm supposed to be. Or if the chemistry lab needs to be set up in high school, I'll find out from the students who are in my first block, where are the materials? Are any of those students able to help me set up? And just start to build connections again, showing that vulnerability that I don't know everything about how the day is going to go, but I'm willing to ask questions and be curious and lean on the expertise of the students in the room. And generally, they respond really well to that. Other ways you can begin to plan if there's not a lot of plans left for you is just asking your students, okay, where did you finish off? Mm-hmm. Or better still, what is something that you all need to work on a little bit more? Like, let's say, for example, if there is a teacher who's gone on leave and I might be there for two or three days, maybe that first day is absolutely getting to know the students, getting to know what they're struggling with, or if there's a test or quiz coming up, reviewing that material with them first, rather than trying to jump into something new. Yeah. Right? Like, let's get a feel for where we're at and then go from there. And kids seven to nine, they respect that you're willing to back up and then move forward. Whereas, like I said before, like if you just plow forward as if you know exactly what's going on, they're going to see right through you if you mess up. And so it's always better, like relationships first. Start with those relationships, build that first, find out where they're at, and then say to them, okay, well, if everyone's good with this outcome or this page of math or this vocabulary, now we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're good with that, right? Like they're fine with a little bit of backtracking. And again, if you're authentic and you're honest and you say to them, you know, Madame or Monsieur or your teacher is ill, there's not a lot of plans, that's okay. We'll get through this together. And you reassure them that, you know, you are a professional, you know what you're doing, but you're also willing to experiment a little bit. I find with seven to nine, that works really well. But that being said, like while they're reviewing, you're working your butt off to look ahead, (laughs) right? Like maybe they go back and they're reviewing their homework and they pair up and they're doing like a think pair share together to go over the homework from the day before. But you're like skimming, scanning, trying to figure out what your next steps are. So they see and you know that you're working just as hard as they are. You're not just using the review as something to do so you can have a break. Yeah. Because they'll see right through that. And that's when the issues and behavior start. And then K to six, the lesson plan I typically bring in, like I said, is that activity, getting to know their names, reading a book. And then on the whiteboard where they have that schedule, I'll get them to help me fill it in. Okay, today is Tuesday. What do you usually have on Tuesdays? And then we'll put the blocks up on the schedule on the whiteboard, either with the magnets or fill them in. And then what I'll do, so like, let's say that's on the far left-hand side of the whiteboard. And then on the right-hand side of it, it's almost a KWL chart. Like, what do you know? What are you wondering about? And then what did you learn? So I'll get them to tell me what they know about that subject right now. What's happening in each of those subjects? So, you know, if LA's on there, I'll say, okay, um, what do you know about LA? What's happening in it? Oh, we're on chapter three of Frindle. Okay, so we write that down. And then math, what are, whereabouts are you? What are you learning? And we'll put down like the subject area, maybe a page number. Okay, good, social study. And we'll do that through all of them. And then I'll thank them. And they'll say, thank you. Mm. We're going to be together for the next while. Thank you for your honesty. Thanks for helping me get acquainted. And just honoring that they are experts about themselves and their knowledge and where they're at. Kids are good by nature. If you work with them, subbing is the best. It is absolutely awesome. Oh, I really like that approach that you don't have to pretend 
that you're not a newcomer to this classroom, that that's absurd and they will see through it. Yeah. And that they are on some level an expert on what's going on in that class mm-hmm. that you can turn to and that when you ask them for that information, it makes them feel like, yeah, I know something. I'm helping you. I think that can go a long way to the relationship that you establish with them. Absolutely. Thank you. But things do not always go perfectly smoothly. <laughs> so how do you handle the students who misbehave or maybe take advantage of the fact that you are a newcomer to the class? How do you walk that line of being engaging, but also managing the class climate so that learning can take place? I think this begins right first thing in the morning, finding out their names and really being mindful and fully present in that moment when every student is introducing themselves. Because like I said, they will very quickly reveal who they are and kind of who those characters are. And so generally, if there are issues, I handle it the same way I would if this were my regular class. I will have a one-on-one conversation first and foremost. And that's a private conversation. So if that means like I need to just use proximity and be close to that person and have kind of like a a quiet, hushed conversation between the two of us, asking them, how's your day? What's going on? And find out the why Mm -hmm. of the misbehavior, right? And you can ask them and say, are you doing this just because I'm a sub and you want to mess around and and that's your thing? Like, is that your jam? (laughs) And generally... They'll say, yeah, and they'll be like, okay, well, funny the first time. It's not going to be so funny if it keeps going for the rest of the day. Maybe we can just move past that. And usually that works quite quickly, especially with like grade four to nine. When they see that you're not going to embarrass them, that you're not going to kick them out right away, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to play those games with them, but that you're going to find out the motivation behind it, they respond really well. Other things is like, oh my goodness, especially K to six. So if there's a student acting up, again, having that conversation, but then flipping it around on them and they're your buddy for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they get to hold your hand walking down the hallway, not because they have to, but because you've spent a little bit of extra time and they want to be the line leader and they want to hold your hand walking down the hallway. Or after you have that one-on-one conversation with that student, maybe they get to pick what we're doing during DPA, like daily physical activity, or finding little carrots, right? Like carrots and negotiation. It's not that much different than parenting. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's that give and take and those conversations and that relationship building. And honestly, I very rarely have management issues because they know I care Mm. and they know that I'm not just going to kick them out, that I'm going to talk to them. I have high expectations of them and I let them know that, but I'm genuinely caring. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. And as we've said before, subbing can be a great way to develop confidence in your ability to do that on the fly. Absolutely. And to rely on proximity and have those conversations with a student that you may not know and see how it can improve those kinds of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Often early career teachers can be on the substitute teacher list while they wait for a permanent role. And depending on the labor supply, again, the context, this can take a while, especially in major urban areas. 
And this can be frustrating. I remember feeling this way when I first started teaching. I did well in school and I thought my field placements went well and expected to get a teaching assignment right away and it just didn't happen. So it took a while. What advice would you have for someone who is in this position to make the most of that scenario and maybe handling the disappointment that they are in a role that maybe they weren't expecting? I think first and foremost is just embrace it and always show up being the best that you can be and build relationships when you're subbing. And if there's a school that you are really enjoying subbing and you know you really want to work there, Mm -hmm. put yourself out there. Don't hesitate to in your notes at the end of the day to your teachers that you've subbed for. Write down, hey, if there's ever a job that you hear about, please let me know. Education can also be a lot about who you know, and making the connections at the right time. And so I think that as you're moving building to building, and you're getting to know different teachers and administrators, just be honest and tell them, I'm working my butt off. And when I come in here and sub, I'm giving it my all because this is where I want to be. An administrator and fellow teachers will remember that. And when those positions do come open, like, oh, Okay, here's a funny story. So when I was subbing at Mary Pobrin, my friend Matt was the K-6 specialist in phys ed. And I loved subbing for him and the conversations we would have. If I was in the building when he was in the building, like subbing for someone else, I would always go to the gym and reconnect with him. And we did lots of planning together. and We shared resources back and forth. But then he's like, you know what, Jody, you're going to take my job one day. <laughs> I said, I would never do that to you. I said, I don't want to do that to you. I said, I don't want to take your job. I mean, you have a great job. I would take your job if you're leaving. I said, but I'm not going to steal it from you. He's like, oh, okay. And then as the government cut the funding to schools, that 1.0 position that he was in became a 0.5. Mm-hmm. And he was newly married and getting ready to have a family and 0.5 was not going to work for him. And so he phoned me and he's like, Jode. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's up? He's like, do you want my job? And I said, no. I said, no, I don't want your job. And he said, well, it's been cut down to a 0.5. I can't afford to not work 1.0. I said, totally fair. I said, I remember what that's like. And he's like, so do you honestly want my job? And like, yep, I'll take that job. (laughs) And so it was actually Matt who put my name forward to the admin. Mm -hmm. And then I was in that school the next year. Now, that's a good sad story. I don't love that the budget cuts were to health and phys ed and they lost a really great health and phys ed teacher. But I mean, those are the realities of budgets, of leaves. It was funny because not long after that, he was on parental leave and I was subbing again while going to grad school. And he's like, oh, not again. He's like, don't you dare go (laughs) take my job at this other school. I said, no, 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 no problem. So it can be tough and disappointing, but just get to know the people in the places you want to be. You can also volunteer like when they are having tournaments or if they're hosting a a musical or a Christmas concert and you know that they're bringing subs in for the music teacher because uh, the music teacher will be at rehearsal and so on and so forth. But then go above and beyond a little bit and say, do you need anything the night of? What do you need? How can I help in those little ways? And that will definitely put you on the radar of those administrators. Yeah, distinguish yourself a little bit and leave a little bit of an impression. It's sometimes those little things. Absolutely. Yeah. 
you've reminded me of how it can feel a little awkward sometimes if you're in a new school, especially if you're just starting out in your career, to jump into those social connections amongst the adults that are in the building. You know, like you go into the staff room and everyone is talking in their own little groups. It's hard to know as a guest teacher, like, where should I sit? Who should I talk to? What strategies have worked for you to kind of jumpstart some of that collegiality, either with the other staff in the building or even other substitute teachers that you might know? I saw this question and I thought, oh, this is like my Achilles. (laughs) So I, as odd as it's going to sound to people who do know me, I don't like meeting new people, new adults. It terrifies me. It's hard. It is. It's so hard. And so honestly, I'm not sure that my strategies are the best for this. But I, like I said, in the morning, I'll try and find somebody whose classroom is close to mine where I am that day. And like, I'll chat to them and get to know their name. And then the other, (laughs) the flip side of this is that I'm also very much an introvert. And so if I can, I generally take my lunch in the classroom because that's just how I rejuvenate to get through the afternoon. But if I'm there for a longer period of time, then yeah, I try to make those like physical close connections, like who's in my hallway Mm -hmm. or who am I on supervision with and just kind of start to chat with them. Like, how was your day? And then if I do venture (laughs) into the staff room, um, I do a lot more listening than talking. You know, before I sit down, I'll ask, does somebody typically sit here? Those are good tips. And I think you can sort of like gently enter the waters like maybe you just go into the staff room to find a mug and get some water or figure out where the microwave is and then see what it's like in there and if it feels like oh this might be a group that I could easily talk with or yeah like giving yourself permission to you know what I need to prep and just like recharge lunch is going to be on my own in the classroom yeah either one works like what is going to be the best for you getting through the day but I loved your idea of trying to reach out to teachers that you have subbed for when you're covering for someone else in the building. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's a really good way to build rapport when you're actually seeing them face to face instead of communicating through plans or emails. Yeah, it solidifies and builds that relationship. So they you're the first one on their mind when either they need a sub again, or when they need a staff member. And it's okay if these things take time. It doesn't have to be quick give yourself that time and honestly enjoy that time as a substitute teacher where you are getting to know people and you can be a little bit like choosy. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting the right feeling from a school, well then take a look down the list and choose a different school and find those teacher friends and that school culture that you're like, yes, this is exactly where I belong and then invest your time there as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Just enjoy that time. Like it's okay if it takes a little while. Yeah, I think that's such good advice. I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about the joy that can come from being a substitute teacher and how to make the most of those kinds of assignments. Do you have any final words for substitute teachers who might be listening? How maybe could they make their next day teaching a better experience? I would say that number one, first and foremost, please don't hesitate to contact me, like email me. Uh, Jody, J-O-D-I dot Harding at gmail.com or I'm on Twitter at Jody Kerger and just continue this conversation beyond the podcast. If I said something that you're like, mm, I want to know more about it, reach out and let's have these conversations. I think that some of the best PD in the world 
are conversations between professionals. And so if you have an idea about subbing that you want to maybe try out the next time, like shoot me an email and say, hey, what do you think of this? And I'm always open to that. I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. It's, it's reciprocal. It's awesome. And then, of course, I will say uh, join a specialist council. So in particular, I would say join the health and phys ed uh, specialist council because we can provide you with lots of those games and those ideas for building relationships. And sometimes even substitute teachers are fearful of the gymnasium setting because it is a whole different ballgame, pardon the pun, um, (laughs) managing in the gymnasium. So joining a specialist council, find out if your district has like a substitute teacher Facebook group or something and connect with other subs and find out what's worked for them, what's not. Like just don't isolate yourself because you're a substitute teacher. Keep making connections, keep building relationships. I think that's what sustains us, right? Is those relationships between colleagues and professionals and students and school communities. Fantastic. Thank you again, Jody, for coming. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for another conversation on school health, a serious collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. Thanks to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music, and a special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or visit our website everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. <laughs>